0: Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that you're a God of comfort. Uh, We thank you that when we open the pages of scriptures, uh, as much as we do read about your blessings and the joy that you bring, especially through the gospel, uh, we thank you that your Bible is filled with realism, uh, that it is believable because it shows from your word that you understand what life is like, Uh, life in this broken world, life with Uh, sickness and death and disasters, uh, life with pain and disease and broken relationships. Uh, You deal with all these things, you understand them, uh, and in them you give us yourself, your presence, your hope, and your ultimate solution through your Son. We thank you for the Psalms, uh, the wonderful prayer book for Israel, the prayer book of Jesus, uh, and our prayer book as well. In the Psalms, it encapsulates the whole gamut of life in all of its highs and lows. And we thank you that in these psalms that we're looking at this month, that we can draw comfort as the psalmist draws comfort from you. So we pray you speak to us this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's, really, it's, it's incredibly important, isn't it, that we uh, learn how to deal uh, with all of the yucky stuff that life throws up. Right, it's really important that we learn how to deal with it, because uh, life will throw up, yucky stuff, uh, all through your life. Uh, dealing with suffering has to be learned. It doesn't come naturally uh, to us, right? We, we're not equipped to deal with serious things like suffering. Just as we have to learn how to eat, and how to play sport, and how to study uh, and learn things, we have to learn how to deal with suffering uh, and pain. Now, with every experience of pain, or with disappointment, or with betrayal, we, we make choices. They're like a stimulus that creates a response in us. In a way, there's lots of stimuli in life, aren't there? And suffering is one of them. It's a stimulus that creates a response in us. We make a choice. And your response, your reaction, will either make you wise or it will poison you. It will either draw you closer to God or it will move you further and further away from God. Suffering puts a fork in the road. And the greater the suffering, the more divergent the fork Right, the greater the suffering, the more divergent is the choice that you'll make. Now, it seems so easy, I think, for us humans to default down the path of poison. Right? Most of us, innately, if we're not to think about it, if we're not to let our emotions uh, go out of control, we'll, we'll usually take the path of poison. Now, it's easy to be deformed by suffering, to have betrayal make us bitter, to be trapped in darkness... Uh, in such a way that we explode with darkness, to return evil for evil, and to become a hater in response to the brokenness of life. It's right? so easy to do that, right? Not many of us, in the face of, say, betrayal, go, ooh, that's cool. Right? We get bitter. And we, when pain comes, we get, we get dark. And when people are evil towards us, we want to be evil back. That seems to be our default position. Now the Psalms, however, take us down... The other road, right? When faced with the worst that life throws, the psalmists, they draw near to God, right? They draw near to God, and they seek God in their suffering, right? They don't turn away from Him. Now, this particular psalm we'll at this morning, Psalm 55, is that of betrayal, right? Betrayal. Now, David wrote the psalm, as you see in the first verse, uh, and like quite a few of David's psalms, they are prayers to God in distress, Uh, And the big difference in this psalm is that the stress that David feels here isn't from the traditional enemies, right? Now, David has plenty of those, you know, like King Saul, he was always going against David, or the Philistines, or the other nations. They are the traditional enemies of David, but in this psalm, it is not a traditional enemy. For we see here, the pain and the betrayal is caused by a trusted friend and brother, as we'll see later on in the psalm. Now, it hurts so much more, doesn't it? When someone close and trusted betrays your trust and turns against you, right? it hurts more because you let them in, haven't you? Now, betrayal can come in many forms, right? We, we often think of betrayal coming from a friend, maybe a close friend, who stabs you in the back. And we can think of a spouse who on your wedding day makes promises to you to love and cherish and protect you, but your experience of marriage is a betrayal of those vows. They are not trustworthy. They cause you pain, and you don't feel safe in the marriage. You can feel betrayal from your parents or who are constantly abusing you verbally or psychologically or who are abandoning you because of their work or other interests in their lives that they place before you, people you expect to nurture and protect you. Instead, they abandon you. There's a betrayal and unfaithfulness that children can feel. It hurts so much more to be unfaithfully treated by those closest to you. Now, David wrote the psalm from this experience of betrayal. Now, we can speculate all we want about who is it that's betraying him, and there are a few candidates if you're going to read through David's stories. But we're simply not told. What we are told is how David responds to this betrayal. His response shows us the fork of the road that the gospel, that the godly people take, right? His response shows us the fork of the road that godly people take. And it must surprise you what that road is, what, it, what his response is to betrayal. You see, David's response to betrayal is to really pour out his heart to God in prayer, right, in faithful prayer. And what does he pray for? He prays for judgment and salvation. He prays for himself and for everyone else in the same situation to cast their cares on God. Right, he calls us to... Our on God. Now it's clear as we look at this prayer that this isn't some kind of ritualistic prayer. He's not just going through the motions here, is he? Right, have a look at verse 1 and 2 in Psalm 55. Right, he's really begging here. Right. He's pleading for a hearing. And he presses God to answer him. Hear me. Don't ignore me. Pay attention and answer me. Now It's not that David thinks that God won't or can't hear him. Or that God might want to run away and hide from him, right? Like some kind of distant father. It's not as if David thinks somehow that God isn't going to answer him. You see, this pleading reflects how distressed David is. He's is desperate for God to hear him. It expresses how dependent he is on God. He knows that without God's help, he is... Helpless, and he is hopeless. And we see how David just pours out how distressed he feels. Right? He, he just pours it all there. He starts with saying in verse 2 that he is restless in complaint and he moans. Right? He's restless in complaint and he moans. Now I know some of you have felt this kind of distress, where you're restless in your complaint and you moan. Physically, some of you have felt this. Right? You know, uh, when you stub your toe, It's ridiculous how bad a stubbed toe feels, right? You just kind of shake from the pain and you kind of let out this groan of pain that you just can't control. Or for the men here, you you know another kind of stubbing that can hurt like that. And of course, the women here who've had children know what that feels like during labor. Or those who've had kidney stones or or gallstones or or a heart attack or deep-seated cancer in your body. Physical pain can cause that kind of uncontrollable discomfort And these groans that just come out of your body uncontrollably. Physically, we can feel this. We can feel this emotionally as well, can't we? Emotionally, we can feel it as well. In the face of disease and death and and losses of many kinds, you get so worked up. You know, when when you see a loved one suffering through the pain of impending death, maybe. Someone going through such great emotional and psychological distress. You can feel such discomfort for them and with them, or for yourself as you go through it. The emotional, deep-seated pain that seems to just kind of rest deep within you and gnaws away at you, give you sleepless nights to cause you to groan inwardly and outwardly for the distress that you feel. And the same goes relationally, can't they? The wayward, rebellious child, the faithless husband or wife, conflicts within families, and among friends and within the church, some of us know the feeling of being so torn up on the inside because of relational pain. And that's what David's feeling here, right? Relational pain is what's causing his restlessness and his groaning. We see in verse 3, he talks about the noise of the enemy, the oppression of the wicked, people who are angry and who bear a grudge against David. And at least one of these people is a trusted friend and a brother, as we'll find out later in the psalm. And he he keeps going in verse 4, right? He pours out more of his feelings. My heart is anguished, he cries out to God. "I'm, I'm trembling with fear. I'm overwhelmed by these horrors. So much so that he wishes that he had wings to fly, fly far, far away from the troubles that he is facing. Don't we wish that sometimes? To be able to fly far away from our pain and our distress? Don't we wish sometimes to be able to escape from our problems? Now, people tell us we shouldn't run away from our problems, right? As parents, you always tell your children that. and Our friends tell us not to run away from our problems. But David, right, the king of Israel, the, the, the Christ of the Old Testament, he's praying that he had wings like a dove to fly far out into the wilderness for some peace and quiet, for some rest and protection. You see, it's not normally sane to run into trouble, is it? or to, to wish for more pain. That's being a masochist and you need help, right, if you're seeking after pain. It's completely normal to want to run away from your problems. It's normal. Even King David does, and he prays to God that this is what he wants. Now, does this will surprise you? Right? You read this on the lips of David, that he responds to suffering in this way. Now, what do we make from this? Now, it's really raw stuff, isn't it? Now, I wonder whether we've ever prayed prayers like this to God, where we really pour out our hearts. Do we allow ourselves to feel these feelings and bring them to God and to bear it all in God's presence as we pray to Him? You know, somewhere along the way, I'm not sure about your experience of the Christian life and Christian teaching, but somewhere along the way, I think many of us have been misinformed into believing that godliness means stoicism. You know stoicism? Stoic means to be like, mm, grin and bear it. The Englishman, right? You know how you know an Englishman is happy? They have like a half smile, right? <laughs> and you know how they're sad? Well, you don't know because it's just neutral, right? And is it that, that, that stoic, strong Englishman or Chineseman woman, right? Let's be fair here. That they're kind of, you shouldn't cry, you should be strong, right? Trusting God means acting strong, being calm, carrying on. You know, I hate those cups. You know, those that's new meme, right? Uh, is it stay calm and carry on? Keep calm and carry on. Like, it's not that easy to just keep calm and carry on. It depends on what you're facing, isn't it? You know, the Psalms show us that it isn't true that godliness means some... Stage stoicism where you're just always strong, always calm, always carrying on in the face of trouble. It is not ungodly to be deeply affected by the troubles of this life. Faith is not necessarily tranquil. It can't be tranquil when troubles squeeze in on us and it erupts inside us. Real life has real problems, real people have real emotions. And the psalmist teaches and shows us that we don't hide them from God. We acknowledge them and we pour them out to God. Especially knowing that God already knows how you feel and how you think. Why hide it from a God who knows it all? But the actual act of bringing it to God shows that we want Him to be involved and in our situation to help us. You know, the Lord Jesus Himself, in the face of suffering and death, He groaned within and He wept bitterly at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, in the face of death, in his own impending dying on the cross, Jesus poured out his heart to God. The Son of God shows us what it's like to get real with God. That's the first thing, isn't it? In all of life, even in the darkest moments, pray and pour out and plead. Lay it all out to God. But notice the second thing here, right? Notice that David is not the pleading of an angry man accusing God. He's not pleading Uh, as an angry man accusing God. It is the pleading of an anguished man trusting God. He is an anguished man trusting God. It is an honest faith, but it is faith, because he is directing it towards God in trust, not in anger and not in accusation. it's not ungodly to be deeply affected by the troubles of life, but how we respond after that is what is important. And here in David's prayer, we see That he shows faith in God. That's where he goes next. From pleading and pouring to actually praying. In faith, asking and trusting God to do something. Now, what is this first thing that he prays for? What does he he pray for? Now, we get to the prayer bit in verse 9. And we see that the first thing he prays for is judgment. Verse 9. Have a look at verse 9. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues. For I see violence and strife in the city. Look at verse 15, let death steal over them, let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is their dwelling place and in their hearts. And again, as you get to the end of the psalm, he prays for even more judgment on his enemies. Destroy, divide tongues, death to them. right, well, that's pretty full on, right? I'm sure you weren't expecting that as the first prayer point of his prayer of distress. Destroy, divide, death to them. I'm sure you weren't expecting that. Now let me deal with the easier one first, okay? The divide one in verse 9. Divide their tongues. Okay, that's a bit less serious. Now, the request for the judgment of divided tongues reminds us of Babel, right? The Tower of Babel back in Genesis 11. Uh, the, 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 the judgment of dividing tongues is to spoil the plans of the enemies, right? But, uh, if you guys know the story of Babel, is when the people of earth all spoke the one language, And they conspired with their uh, uh, communication, being able to speak the same language, to build this tower that will reach out into the heavens. Basically, they wanted to usurp God's position as God. They wanted to be gods themselves. Right? That's the whole symbol of getting out into the heavens. Now, in God's judgment, is to prevent people from from being what they can't be, which is to be God, and to judge them for wanting to usurp God, to be such rebels. And God's judgment in Babel was to divide their tongues, so that we all speak different languages. So that we can't all conspire against God to do evil against God and to do evil to ourselves, right? And so David asks for the same thing here. Divide the enemy's tongues means to thwart their plans, do something to disrupt their evil plans. Now, David isn't really being vindictive, right, or being revengeful here in asking for judgment. David simply wants deliverance from evil. And we see that deliverance from evil requires judgment on God's part to achieve, it requires God, right, to act, to put a stop to evil. Evil doesn't stop on its own, right? It's, like it's got this momentum that keeps going. Evil is like on a downhill run. You need someone to stop it. You see, it with, you see this with, Abe, with Babel, uh, and now we see it. Uh, and we see it with Egypt, for instance, with Pharaoh, right, uh, oppressing God's people, Israel. And we see it here with David's enemies, right? God, David needs God to stop this evil, now, this, this judgment that, that David seeks for extends beyond dividing tongues to the more serious things that we saw in verse 9 and 15. Destruction and death. Now, why is so serious, right? Why is it that a godly response to evil is to ask God to bring destruction and death? Now, my kids often ask me during Bible time because they read um, a lot of the Bible and they get to passages like this and they think, you know, is it a bad thing? Shouldn't we be nice to people and our enemies? Are we meant to love them? Why is it that the psalmist is asking for God to kill people, right, for their wrongdoing? Now, to understand this, we need to see what David says about this faithless friend of his, right? There's a particular context which creates this seriousness. Now, it's clear from verse 12, right, that this person that David has in mind isn't a clear-cut enemy. If it were, David would be able to bear it, he says, right? If it was one of the normal enemies I face, well, I expect that, right, and I can kind of deal with that. Now, is David just basically being more upset, right, that it's a close friend that's betrayed him, that he wants even more judgment, right, even more punishment, right? It's not, it's not, it's not that for sure. Now, you look at verse 13, David explains to us who this friend is, right? Firstly, he's an equal of David, he's a companion of the king of Israel, Uh, a friend who knows him well and counsels him, a brother in God's family, walking together in the house of God. Maybe... He was a general, right, in David's army. Remember David's king? And you would think that a companion of him would be a a trusted advisor, a general. A friend with huge influence over David and over God's people. And and because of this influential position, his his betrayal caused great damage. Have a look at verse 9, right? This friend, through his betrayal, brought violence and strife in the city, right? The city of God which was supposed to be a refuge place for the people of God, they brought violence and strife. Verse 10, he brought wickedness and trouble into the walls of the city. The city walls are meant to be his defenses, to keep the enemies out and to keep the people on the inside safe. But what has this friend done? He's brought iniquity uh, and trouble into the city walls. Verse 11, he brought about oppression and fraud into the marketplaces, poisoning the people of God from within, making the holy people of God unholy. Verse 15, this betrayer and others like him had deep evil in their hearts. Verse 19, This people will not change and they have no fear of God. Right? How David knows this, we don't know, but he surmised that they really don't care about God at all, even though they're insiders. They're God's people. They're even David's trusted advisors. In verse 21, and this imagery is it's terrible, isn't it? Their speech, this friend's speech was smooth like butter, softer than oil, but really, they were war and swords. Now, butter and oil is a lubricant, isn't it? It's meant to make food taste good, coat your mouth and your throat and slide down, right, to satiate your tummy, right, and all your senses. That's what butter and oil does, right? That's why French food is so good. So, watching this... uh Uh, video uh, on Facebook, as you have, you know, about uh, making uh, your own chocolate croissant. And the amount of butter that they put in every layer, wow, right? It's called a heart attack combo right there. But you imagine, I I can't imagine, okay, I'm not really a baker, so I I think of oil, I think my bike, right, you know, I'm a cyclist. And imagine a friend of mine giving me, uh, you know, lubrication to put on my gears and and chain, but really they put inside grit, inside the oil, the oil instead, and I place it on, and then you grind the gears, you know, it's like chalkboard, and you scratch it, that kind of sound, and the feeling. It's like that, right? Or a friend who, who offers to give you sunscreen before you go out into the Brisbane sun, you know, maybe you go into the beach, and they say, here's some sunscreen, right? 50 plus SPF. But really, they put in suntan lotion. You know what suntan lotion does, right? It speeds up the burning. Now, that kind of betrayal is evil, isn't it? That kind of betrayal is evil. For someone to come across as being butter and oil, but in fact they are war and sword, aimed to cut you up from the inside. This is serious wickedness right here. Now, it really is bad enough that a trusted friend could have betrayed David. But with this trusted friend, the damage and destruction was far worse. Not just for David, but for Israel, for God's people. And so in this context, it makes total sense for David to call on God for destruction and death for this this disloyal, faithless friends. Because it is only that severity of judgment which will be able to prevent them from the damage that they will do to David and to the people of God. Now, it won't always be in our lives that we call for judgment on our friends, our faithless friends or spouse or parents or colleagues you know, destruction and death to them. I don't think we should be doing that. Uh, I mean, dividing your tongues, I think we should. Uh, because getting God to thwart people's evil plans against us is a good thing to pray for. But we'll talk about that more as we get to the end. Now, as I've already said, David's prayer for judgment is really a prayer for salvation, not for revenge. Right? He's asking for destruction and dividing of tongues and death, not for, people to be, not for him to be avenged and for him to like, yeah, I get back at you but in order for him to be saved. Uh, We see this in verse 16, right? It's salvation that David wants, and he's confident that he'll get. In verse 18, it's redemption from his enemies into safety that he desires. But David knows that salvation and redemption can only come by judgment. It is only when God divides the tongues of his betrayers, puts a stop to their evil. It is only when God brings about destruction and death that evil will really be stopped, isn't it? At the end of the day, God can divide tongues, but the people can find other means to be evil. Death and destruction seems to be the end point, God's final judgment to put all things right. Salvation comes through judgment. Now, as Christians who know the gospel, we understand this concept, that only in judgment will there be salvation. The gospel is the good news of how Jesus has taken on the death and destruction that we deserve. Right? The gospel is the, the, the story, the, the, the message that we deserve judgment. And, and for us to be saved, someone has to be judged on our behalf. We have been the faithless friends of God. We have the one that has brought destruction in our relationship with Him and with each other. And we've destroyed the world through our sin and greed. And for us to be saved from that sin requires judgment, which God Himself, His Son, takes. We pray for our own salvation from our own sins, knowing that the judgment we deserve has been dealt with by God. And because we know that we have been saved from the greatest power of sin, then we know that God can and will save us from our enemies, right? If God can save us from our own sins, we can trust that God will save us and can save us from our enemies, other enemies. And because we know that God alone has the right and the power to judge, then we pray and we leave it to God to do the judging. Uh, We are those who are guilty like everyone else. It is not our place to be the judge and the executioner. that is God's place. So let's draw some implications from this psalm. Now, how are you with your prayers in times of trouble? I have enough of you on Facebook to know that you face troubles, right? The number of R's and, uh, you know, messages of distress uh, where... Uh, you kind of want to say to the whole world what's going on in your life, but you know you probably shouldn't. Uh, but you have close friends who will message you privately to ask you how you're going. I know there's enough of us here who've had distress and troubles of many kinds. Uh, over the years, we faced that together as a community. Now, in those times, how have you gone with your prayers? Has your anguish translated into this kind of faithful pleading that we see that David has done here? Do you pour out your heart to God? See, David here faced an extreme form of betrayal that has extremely damaging effects. And we know Jesus faced the same betrayal from his close friend and disciple, Judas. A betrayal that had extremely terrible effects that led him to the cross. And for both David and Jesus, they expressed their grief in prayers and in pleas as they poured their hearts out to God. Now, in this particular pain of betrayal and faithlessness, how have we responded? Now, I don't know, and it's not something that we probably talk about, right? We probably talk about the suffering that we face with sickness and with other things, but betrayal is a bit hard to share, isn't it? Maybe we've been in a marriage where there's been cheating or unfaithfulness or abuse of some kind. Or maybe in your family there's been some deep hurts from your parents or your carers or your siblings even. Maybe in your friendships, you come across people who've really just stabbed you in the back, people who come across one way and are really a completely different way. Maybe in your workplace, some of you have people in there who just really are out to get you for some reason or another. How have you responded? Perhaps you've chosen to walk down the poison path. Perhaps you haven't looked up towards God, but have looked within, growing bitter, letting the darkness engulf you more and more, and you've exploded in that darkness, responding to evil with evil. Maybe you become more hateful and more hateful as the days have gone by. Now, I've met people like that in my life. I've been that in my life at, at times. And maybe you have as well. But that's not the way to go, is it? That's not the way to go. Walking down this path will poison you and it will, it will kill you especially because walking down this path means you're walking away from God. But the psalmist here shows us a different path, how to walk towards God with the reality of this betrayal and this pain. For us to be able to get real with God in anguish, to express faith, in restless complaint, to pray, for deliverance, to plead, to just pour it all out and to seek from God what He wants to give us to see from God what he wants to give us. He wants to give us rest. Now Psalm 55 verse 22 is a favorite memory verse for good reason. It's on many postcards and bookmarks and it's all over the internet. Right When I search uh, Psalm 55, it's only verse 22 that it's worth putting into a bookmark. And it's a great verse. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Cast your burden on the Lord. Find rest in God. Now we see in this psalm three ways of finding and getting this rest. Now the first is to seek refuge in God. That's what David does, isn't it? To seek refuge in God. Knowing God's power and goodness, ask for protection, for the ability to withstand the attacks. Now whether it is from the schemes of man or the sufferings of a physical or emotional or relational pain, God may not take away your trial, but He will certainly help you to stand up in And through it. That's what it means to have a refuge, right? You know, it's the picture of the cleft in the rock. There's a famous Old Testament imagery. As the storms pass by, you're safe in the cave, protected by the God of refuge. Seek refuge in God and find rest in the midst of your troubles. Second thing, seek salvation from your troubles. You see, David has no problem asking God to deal with the enemies so that he can be safe again, to divide the tongues and thwart their plans so that he can be safe. David has no problems asking for God to solve the problem right there and right then. Now, we know that God doesn't promise that he will solve our problems right here and right now, or that he might even solve it within the next week or the next month. Some problems will remain until we die or Jesus returns. But it doesn't mean that God won't ever help us through our problems right here and right now. It is a right and good thing to ask for God to solve our troubles in the present. He is able to do it and he will do it according to his good will and if it's good for us. But sometimes it is better for us to be able to face those troubles and trust him in those troubles. You see, we trust God even if he doesn't choose to save us now because we know he still offers us protection, right? Until that final day which leads us to our third point of finding rest. Seek for God's vindication. Right? Pray to God for Him to make all things right on that last day. Now, the reason why we, we pray to God to make all things right is the more we pray it, the more we say it, the more we will believe it, right? You've got to preach to yourself, not just listen to yourself, as, uh, as uh, Paul Tripp often says. Sometimes when you listen to yourself... You listen to the voice of the troubles, the voice of the poison, the voice of the bitterness, the voice of the evil and the hate. But when you preach to yourself that God will make all things right, he will vindicate, that's what the word means, right? You will trust God and find rest in that. You will come to believe more and more and find comfort in this truth, to know that God will deal with all who have been evil against us. Because God will judge all evil on that last day. God promises that all evildoers will face His judgment. Jesus came to bear the full weight of God's judgment. But for those who won't trust Him and who won't repent, Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth to bring judgment on those who continue in unrepentant sin. And so we can leave it to Jesus to judge. When we are hurt and we're betrayed, we don't need to hold on to the pain We don't need to let it fester. We don't need to despair. We don't need to fight back. We can leave it to Jesus to make all things right when he returns on that final day. And so as we look forward and as we pray for vindication on that last day, we find that we get rest. Seek refuge, seek salvation, and seek vindication, and you will find rest in your pain. Now, we can't run away from troubles in this life, and with every trouble comes a fork in the road. And the Psalms are a wonderful gift to us. Psalms, like Psalm 55, prepares us for the dark days that are here or that will come. They prepare the godly to walk down the right path when we come to that fork in the the road that suffering will certainly bring us to. So how will you respond? How will you respond? What will betrayal or abandonment or disappointment or disease or death cause you to do? What will you choose to do? I pray they will be like David and be able to cast all our burdens on God and that we will end our prayers always as David ends this prayer. The final words of this prayer, David says, I will trust in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now, especially my brothers and sisters here who are facing suffering and pain of different kinds, especially if you are facing the pain of unfaithfulness or betrayal of any kind. We really want to pour that out to you now and pray that you'll hear our prayers, that you will answer us, that in our distress, you will meet us and comfort us. We pray for your refuge in these troubled times. We pray that it be your will for you to save us now out of these troubles, that you will do so, that you will divide the tongues of our enemies, that you will find a way to destroy their evil works. But if not now, then we thank you so much for the salvation that we can look forward to, a day where there will be no more pain and betrayal, no more suffering, death or disease. We pray for that day and we look forward to that day with great hope and yearning that you will make all things right. We thank you that through Jesus we know that this will certainly happen. We thank you that our own betrayal and our sin has been paid for by his death. And we thank you that you will be just on that last day in judging all sin and making all things right. Through all that we go in life, Father, we pray that we will not be poisoned by the suffering that comes our way, but instead we will be drawn to you to pray and to plead, to pour out our hearts, to pray for you to save and to judge according to your will and for our good. For we pray all this in Jesus' name, saying, I will trust in you.